I mean, if you stop and think about how centered your faith is on yourself. But when we read the scripture and when we see Jesus, Jesus didn't do anything for himself. He, he came and he didn't come to be served. He said, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And I'm not saying that, you know, go sell all you have and go live like a pauper so you can serve the poor. But I'm saying, when you have an opportunity to reach outside of yourself, to, to get outside of yourself, your own needs, your own desires, your own want, whatever, if, when you have that opportunity available, take the opportunity. You can, maybe you can't take it this weekend. They're there every weekend giving out food. And you know, the greatest need I believe that exists there is not just for you to carry a bag of groceries for somebody, but it's to sit down with somebody and just ask them, how are you doing? And really, genuinely care about how they're doing. I'm telling you what, that's my favorite thing to do when I go down there. And those people know whether you really, genuinely care about how they're doing. Because the Lord really cares about how they're doing. You know, the Lord loves them. God doesn't not love them, or God doesn't look at them different because they're poor. God loves them. As a matter of fact, I, I was just reading in the book of Acts. This is not even relevant to my topic today. But I was just reading this the other day in the book of Acts. Let me see if I can find it. If I can't find it, I'll just tell you about it. It's when, um, it's when Paul went to, after he had left Jerusalem, I mean after he had uh, been converted, and he, he spent three years and then he went to Jerusalem and then 14 years later, he went back. But when Paul went to Jerusalem, <clears throat> he met with the apostles. And when he met with his, the apostles on, his, uh, on the second trip, I think it was. Anyways, he met with them and, and they realized that he had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Now understand that those guys in Jerusalem, they were preaching the gospel to the Jews. But Paul was an apostle called to the Gentiles. And he had been preaching to the Gentiles. And when he went back to Jerusalem, there was a little bit of conflict. And the conflict was, well, do these Gentiles need to become Jews before they can be saved in Jesus Christ? Paul, Paul's like, hey, man, I'm preaching the gospel. And, uh, and so here's what they concluded. They concluded that go preach the gospel, but here's what we ask of you, Paul, that you remember the poor. That you remember the poor. And Paul said which was great for me because I am always mindful of the poor as I preach the gospel. Jesus said when he stood in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, he said, he said, he quoted from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good tidings, good news to who? To the poor. And so, church, I just want to encourage you reach out reach out beyond these four walls and beyond yourself now does everybody have a message guide everybody have one alright Let, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 now, I put a little acronym there called equip and then on the inside I just put a little we're not going to go through all these scriptures on the last page of this message guide but this is just kind of for your own personal use and, and I don't know, maybe you've already got a regimen of what you do. Uh, I'm a real...
real firm believer that you shouldn't be legalistic in your devotion time or your reading time or your prayer time. If it's legalistic, if it's legalism, if it's a work to you, you might as well not do it because you're not going to get anything out of it. Your time with God, whether it's prayer time or study time, time in the Word, devotion time, should not be out of a sense of legalism. It should be out of a heart of love. It should be out of a desire to know Him. And so these are tools that, that we put in your hand to help you to that end of knowing Him, of being equipped. If you've got your own thing going on, that's fine. But another reason we do this is so that we can be on the same page, so that we can kind of be together in what the Spirit of the Lord is bringing. And so here in Ephesians chapter 4, this, this acronym, EQUIP, Established, Qualified, Unified, Increasing, and Praying, Today we're not going to go through all of those points, but I want to read this scripture to you from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 11, and it says, speaking of Jesus, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So this word equip. Now we need to ask ourselves a question, why, why did you come here today to church? And, and we could probably get all kinds of, of answers and all kinds of reasons. But I, I want you to understand this. There's really only two reasons, scripturally, two main reasons why we should come here. And really, neither one of them are centered on ourselves. You're, you're really not encouraged or compelled to come here just for you. Though this is what we've turned church in to a place we come where I can get satisfied or where... We like to use this term, where I can get filled up. How are you going to get filled up? Let me ask you that. Now, we were singing a song earlier, and a scripture came to me. It's John 7, 28, where Jesus stood at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he said, I am the living waters. And he said, all you who thirst, come to me, and from your belly will flow rivers of living water. Do you realize that nowhere in the scripture except one place, Jesus never communicated the filling of the Holy Spirit as something that was going to come from up here and fill me here. Now, we know on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell, and we know that the Spirit of God has been shed abroad to the earth, but what did Jesus say? Jesus said, from your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells where? In you. So that spirit is in you. Jesus, talking to the woman at the well, said, had you asked me for a drink of living water, I could have given you a drink, and you would have never thirsted again. Why? Because that water, that living water, would have become a well, a fountain that would never run dry. Well, what is the source of that well and of that fountain? Well, it is the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. So while we're coming to church hoping to get filled up from the outside, Jesus is saying, you've got an endless fountain of water, the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And what needs to happen, church, is we need to break these vessels so that that water, so that that living water and that spirit and that light and that life can flow out of us. The problem is we're all clogged up. I mean, we want to put it inside, put the lid on it, seal it, and never let it out because we're afraid if we let it out, we might lose it. 
And, and we're like the man who wants to keep building barns because he wants to keep amassing and amassing things. There comes a point to where you can only take in so much. When are you going to let out? And see, the Lord has already given you all things by His Spirit. You are walking, if, if you're today, if you're here and you're born again, you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, I'm telling you what, you are walking in power. The question is, do you know it? You're walking in glory. The question is, do you know it? You have an endless supply of the Spirit on the inside of you. The question is, do you know it? And we've come together, Hebrews says, let us consider one another. To provoke each other, coming together to provoke each other to love and good works. Let us not follow the habit of some who have forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. And, and, and let's be mindful because the day is approaching. So we come to do what? To provoke one another, to encourage one another, to build up one another. You know, if you just came to church every week and purposed to encourage and to build up somebody else, you would automatically be encouraged and you would automatically be built up. I promise you, you would. If you came to church every week purposing in your heart to just give joy to somebody else's life today, whether you feel joyful or not, if you would just purpose to, to, to impart joy to somebody, I promise you, you will receive joy, and walk away with more joy than you could have ever imagined that you could have received. Because you didn't even feel joyful in the first place. Why? Because what you sow is what you're going to reap. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. Let him out. The light is in you. Come out from under the bushel basket. And let your light shine. The fragrance is inside of you. Go ahead and let your jar be broken open so that it can come out. And don't worry about running out because there's an endless supply. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Amen? So we come, Paul says, that Jesus has given gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Are you a saint? If you are, you have a work to do. You have a ministry. It's not defined by a man. It's not defined by a label. God has already defined it. If you are in Christ, you are called to the work of the ministry. You might not be a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle. And that doesn't matter. That's just a vocation. But we're all called as believers to the work of the ministry. Part of my vocation is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And in equipping you for the work of the ministry, that means that I have to make you sometimes feel uncomfortable about your self-centeredness in coming to church. I'm so sorry. Please love me in spite of what I'm telling you today. Because I'm only trying to help you. I mean, we've got this disease in America that we just feel like that it's, it's all about me. 
Jesus, Jesus, don't you know it's all about me? Jesus says, no, I'm sorry, it's not. Jesus says it's all about me. Church, it's all about him. And we are his body here in the earth to impart his life, to make his life known. And if we would concentrate on that, you'd have more joy, more peace, more love, more patience, more. You'd have more than you could handle. You wouldn't even know what to do with all of it. You'd be trying to find ways to give. Have you ever grown a garden? How many of you have ever grown a garden? You ever grown a garden? And I, I do this. What, when I used to really have time to deal with my garden, now I just plant a garden. It seems like the rabbits get most of the benefit from it. Man, I, I have lots of rabbits at my house. If you guys like rabbits too, you can come out and help me out. <laughs> now my kids and my wife would be quite upset if you killed the rabbits. Well, maybe not my wife because they are eating some things they're not supposed to be eating. But have you ever planted a garden? And, and, and before you know it, you, you're, you got vegetables coming out your ears. I mean, let's just take tomatoes for instance. You guys know if, if you don't eat tomatoes within a certain period of time, they get rotten. Have you ever just had tomatoes sitting around and they start to weep and get, you know, what do you do? You try to find, you know, well, you cook them, you can them, you freeze them, you eat them, you slice them, you dice them. You do all kinds of things with them, but they keep producing. Man, wouldn't that be nice if we could produce that kind of spiritual fruit in our life? I mean, we got so much love, we don't know what to do with it. Here, take some love. It's, I got so much of it, I don't know what to do. Here, take some of my joy and some of my peace because it's, it's overflowing. I am convinced that's exactly what God wants our life to be. I haven't got to my message yet. I, I don't know, but it's okay. And that reality, really, church, is not dependent upon our circumstances. I can't say that enough. We tie our joy, our peace, we tie all of that to our circumstances. And our circumstances define our fruit. But our circumstances should not define our fruit. Our fruit should, should overwhelm, should, should be above and beyond our circumstances. They don't have anything to do with one another. Because Jesus is greater. He's overcome the world. He said, yeah, you're going to have circumstances, trials, tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And the Spirit, the Spirit is not determined. The power of the Spirit, the glory of the Spirit, the capacity of the Spirit is not determined by what happens in this earth, in your physical life. It's not, unless you believe it is you believe it is it will be but I promise you you've got an endless supply of living water on the inside of you waiting to come out but if you think your circumstances define your condition and define who you are you're not going to let it out you're going to be too fearful to let it out and we talked about this today in the Bible study you guys are missing a great Bible study on Sunday morning. Kathy's leading a Bible study. To, we're, right now she's doing a Bible study on the mind of Christ. And today she talked about fear. And anybody that battles with fear, man, I wish you'd have been in there. And all of our fear is rooted in unbelief. And it's the truth. And we're not letting the Spirit flow through us. The bottom line is because of unbelief. 
Stop waiting for God to do something out here. If he's in you, he's already done it. You just let it take place. You let it flow. So we come to be equipped for what? For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That word edifying means to be built up. For how long? How long are we coming to be equipped? Well, he says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Whew. That's kind of discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> till we all come to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect, a complete man. You know who the complete man is? He is Christ. Till we all come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. The perfect man. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. Verse 15. But speaking the truth. We should not be children any longer. But speaking the truth in love. We should grow up in all things into him, into Christ, who is the head. We've come, we come to be equipped so that we can grow up. How do we grow up? By the renewing of our mind. Now there's a, phys, you know, we, we think of growth in terms of physical growth. But you can grow all you want physically, but if you don't mature in your mind, you can be a man on the outside, but a child up here. And that's not good. And in a lot of ways, that's what's happened to the church. We're all about trying to increase the physical stature of the church, but the mind of the church hadn't been renewed to the head, Jesus Christ, yet. And we're still thinking like children in too many ways. And I'm telling you what, we're living in a day and an age where God is saying it is time for the church to grow up. And I promise you, one way or another, God is going to mature his bride. It's going to happen. We can choose to renew our minds according to, in knowledge according to the image of Christ. Or we may find ourselves in circumstances where all of this other stuff that we thought was so important really is not important anymore. And our attention is turned back to where it should have been all along, which is upon Christ. But one way or the other, it's going to happen. So we've come to be equipped. Amen? Now, turn over to, to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So we need to grow up, we need to be equipped for the work of ministry. And what is the work that we're called to do? Well, it's to make Christ known. And Jesus said, go in all the world and preach the what? The gospel. Here in Galatians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 6. Now Paul is writing to this church at Galatia. These are Gentile believers. And they've come to faith in Christ, but what's happened is there are there are people that are coming in and telling them, well, what you're believing is not true. And they're trying to bring them back under the law and, and tell them that they've got to keep the law in order for them to truly be in Christ. And so this is the context of the letter that Paul is writing here. So he says in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel 
which is not another. He said, I marvel that you are being turned away to a different gospel, which is not another. In other words, they're preaching a different gospel. They're saying, no, this is the gospel, but he says, no, it's not. Why? Because there is only one gospel. There's not another. What does the word gospel mean? I told you last week it means good news. Anything that is outside of Christ is not good news. Any other way to God, any other way to salvation, that I don't care how rosy a picture people want to paint, it is not good news. There is no other gospel. There's lots of other messages. There's lots of other paths that people tell you that you should go down. But there's only one gospel. There's only one good news. That's Jesus Christ. And so he says, you're turning to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You know, some of the stuff I see going on in the church today, I think a lot of believers, if an angel appeared to them and told them to believe something, I think some people are so in awe of supernatural experiences of having an angelic visitation that they just take hook, line, and sinker what the angel told them. And that's a dangerous thing, church. Paul said, even if an angel comes to you, if he's not telling you the gospel, let him be accursed. You don't listen to him. Do you guys know that the enemy has signs and wonders and power to perform those things? And the scripture says that in the last days, there's going to come a time when there will be lying signs and wonders that the enemy will perform. And if you don't know the truth, you could fall for that. I'm telling you what, do you think that's a day that's somehow going to come in the future and you're safe from that? Church, I'm telling you, we are living in that day right now. As a matter of fact, that day came at the very time Jesus came. I mean, as soon as Jesus showed up, guess what? Satan was right there to deceive. You think he's left? No, no. What did Jesus say in the parable of the sower? He said immediately, when the word is sown, immediately the enemy comes. Jesus Christ is the living word. Don't you know when Jesus Christ, the living word, was sown into this earth, the enemy was there immediately to deceive those hearers. And he has been deceiving ever since. Actually, he was deceiving long before that. He's a deceiver. And so Paul says, hey, it doesn't matter. As we have said before, verse 9, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For I do, for I, do I know, or do I now persuade men or God? Paul says, do I persuade men or God? He said, am I here to please men? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Are you here to please men or to please God? Are you a man pleaser or a God pleaser? I'll let you fill in the blank. Because that's really a question we need to ask ourselves. You know, I, I want everybody to love me. I want everybody to accept me. I want everyone to think well of me. But you know, I have a responsibility before God. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to answer to anyone except the Lord. And if I 
spend my time trying to please men, then I might as well not be here because I'm not doing you any good and I'm not doing anybody else any good. Because we're not called to please men. We're called to please God. Does that mean we're rude and offensive? No. But it does mean that we absolutely stand up for the truth. We do not compromise the truth. We do not compromise Christ. We do not compromise the gospel. For there is only one gospel. And if we paint a picture of any other way, if we water it down, if we do anything to compromise it, then really what we're doing is we're pleasing men instead of pleasing God. And Paul said, if I was still pleasing men, I wouldn't be a a servant of Christ. Can you imagine the pressure that was on Paul? I mean, this guy was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He went to the greatest seminary on the face of the earth as far as Jews were concerned. Set under the greatest teacher of that time. And he threw all of that away for Christ. He said, I count it all as dung. I put it on the dung heap so that I can know and experience the excellency which is Christ. Can you imagine what kind of pressure was on Paul? What's wrong with you, Paul? Are you lost your ever-loving mind? Are you telling me that you're throwing everything away that you've been taught? The traditions that have been here for, for thousands of years of your people, you're going to throw that all away for, for this Jesus guy? And we can't even imagine the pressure that was on Paul. He said, if I was still about pleasing men, I would not be serving Christ. Because this is not pleasing the men in my life, the people in my life. And you read what happened to Paul, where he went, the things that happened to him. He wasn't always the most popular guy in town. So he goes on and he says, look, I'm not, I'm not about pleasing men, I'm about pleasing God. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, the gospel is not according to man. The gospel comes through a revelation of Jesus Christ, because what is the gospel about? It's about Jesus Christ. Now, we want to reduce the gospel today into... How can I get more money? How can I get a bigger house, a bigger car, a more successful lifestyle? I mean, mean, that's fine. Go for it. Man, I spent three days at a seminar on on some things that have to do with with, with those type of things. I'm not opposed to that. Just some real basic financial things. You know, we we shouldn't be stupid. We should take advantage of the wisdom and the knowledge that's out there. But, But listen, that's not who we are. Whether I have a lot or nothing doesn't change the fact of who Christ is. And the gospel, the good news, is not that I'm going to be rich one day. The good news is that I've been brought into life in Christ Jesus. That the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And now the living Christ lives in me by that spirit. And I have become the holy living habitation of God Almighty himself. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so Paul says, man, the gospel didn't come. It's not according to man. It's not about man. It's not about anything that has to do with man or this earth. It's about Christ. And the revelation is not from man, but the revelation is from Jesus Christ. Does that mean Paul believed that you didn't have to have teachers? Obviously not, because he was a darn good teacher. As a matter of fact, he even wrote that Jesus gave the gift of teacher, pastor, evangelist, prophet, apostle to the church. But I'm going to tell you this right now, church. 
all the preaching, all the teaching of man that you want to listen to, you will never, you will never get a revelation of the gospel from man. I can cast seed out, I can water the seed, but I can't make the seed grow. Only God can bring the increase. And the revelation of the gospel comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through the Spirit of God. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians. That says chapter 1, but I found out last night it's really chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How does the revelation of Jesus Christ come? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 9. I love this scripture. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him, for those who love him. That is talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then you can go to Colossians chapter 127, and you'll see Paul puts it all together there. That eye has not seen, that ear has not heard, that is Christ. The fact that the God of all creation would come down to planet earth and he would dwell in a jar of clay, in a dirt bottle. You know that's what you are? When it's all said and done, you're a dirt bottle. I talked to a physics professor last week, and he told me that the going rate on what you are composed of is about $7.50 some odd cents. That's what you're worth today in raw materials. You ain't even worth a good meal at Chili's. And that's just the meal, not even including the tip. You put the tip in there, and it's going to take two of you to pay that bill. What gives you value? Christ in you is what gives you value. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him, that he would send his son, and his son would tabernacle in this dirt jar. Hallelujah, church. You missed that. So Paul goes on, but God, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, it hasn't entered to the heart of mind of man, but God has revealed them to us, how? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. For we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by the Lord. And where are they given to us? In Christ. So who gives us the revelation of Jesus? It's the spirit of God. You can cast seed, but I'm telling you what, it is the work of the Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit in you that will give you a revelation of the truth that you read. When you read this Bible, when you study this Bible, it's not your intellect that's going to give you anything. Your intellect can take it in and digest it, but unless the Spirit illuminates it, empowers it, you will not receive a revelation that will transform your life and renew your mind. You might have a good idea, and we don't need any more good ideas. We need some God ideas. We need divine revelation, church. What the church today needs is not another 10-step, easy-step formula. We need divine revelation by the Spirit of God. 
that if you're in Christ, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is dwelling on the inside of you and you're walking around full of power, full of glory. You've got everything you need. You just don't know it. But I'm telling you what, the spirit of the living God can illuminate your mind, open your blind eyes, open your blind ears, and give you a revelation of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. And that's what needs to happen. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, here. Pastor Jeff, can't you lay hands on me, anoint me with oil and give me that? No, I cannot. You need to seek it. You will seek me and you will find me, says the Lord, when you seek after me. How? With all your heart. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul's writing here to Timothy. And he says to him, But know this, young Timothy, that in the last days perilous times will come. Church, we need to know the times we're living in. Now, when are we going to enter into the last days? We're in them. How do we know that? Does the word confirm that? Acts chapter 2. Peter comes out of the upper room. He stands there. And and as the spirit has fallen upon them. And they're all speaking in tongues. And and Jerusalem is wondering what in the world is going on here. Peter says we are not drunk as you suppose. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Peter said it right there. He said, this is the fulfillment of what Joel wrote hundreds of years before. God, we are in the last days, church. We're in them right now. And God has poured out his spirit. Jesus said in Luke 11, you earthly dads, being evil, because if your son asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. If he asks for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a snake. If you earthly dads, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father, if you ask, will he give you the Holy Spirit? The Spirit has been poured out. All you have to do is ask. And Jesus will come in and that Spirit will dwell in you. And when he dwells in you, you're not lacking anything except the knowledge of the reality of the power that's in you. Now, the devil wants to make you believe you got to go to person X, Y, or Z, get anointed with oil, get your hands laid on, and then a special anointing will be imparted to you. No, honey, you got the only anointing that counts. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you don't believe that, read 1 John and read about the anointing. And then go to the Gospel of John and read about the Holy Spirit in, in, in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And read what Jesus said about why he's sending the Spirit. Why do we have the anointing? We have the anointing to make Jesus Christ known. We have the anointing that we might know him. We have the anointing that we might manifest his very life, his very power, his very glory. Through our lives, do you realize that God wants to manifest his power, his life through you? You are the vessel he's chosen to do that. You are his body in the earth. Pastor Jeff, are you telling me that God would actually heal someone 
through the laying on of my hands? You betcha he will, honey. You have faith? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead's in you. Don't you think that spirit can heal a sick person? Well, Pastor Jeffrey, you telling me that, that I could actually lay hands on somebody and, and, and I could cast a devil out of them? Well, well, let's think about this for just a moment. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Did Jesus cast out demons? Yes, he did. Then you can do that also. Well, don't I have to have some special person lay hands on me? Don't I need some special anointed imparted to me? No, you don't. You need Jesus, you need the Spirit living in you, and you need a renewed mind. You need your mind renewed according to the image of Him who created you. That's what you need. That's why you come to church. Not to get blessed, to get equipped so that you can go out and be a blessing. Now, if you come here and you got things going on, and you need healing, you need a deliverance, you need to believe God for some provision, man, that's great. That's when we all come together and we provoke each other, encourage one another to love and good works, and we gather around one another and we say, man, okay, you need a healing. Let's believe God for a healing, man, because Jesus still heals today. I need some deliverance. Well, praise God, let's gather around and pray for our brother, our sister. They need a deliverance because Jesus still delivers today. But the enemy wants to make you think that somehow... You can't do that because you're just little old you. And we watch all the big names. Well, I can't go there. But listen, no. Paul went there. Read what Paul wrote. Paul said, I went to Jerusalem and all these people that were supposed to be somebody, he said, they didn't add anything to me. I went to Jerusalem and kept hearing about all these big names, old Peter, old James, all these guys that... Their names were written up in lights. And he said, when I went there, he said, they didn't add anything to me. Paul wasn't disrespecting them. Paul came to a revelation. He understood, those guys don't have anything that I don't have. I've got Christ. They have Christ. We allow the enemy to magnify these things, whether they're good or bad, in our minds. And, and then they begin to intimidate us. They bring us in to deception. I've got to hurry. Because it's almost time to leave. I don't want to keep you too late today. So what's Paul say? Did I, did I start there yet? Oh yeah, you need to know the times you're living in. Well, I'm not going to go through the list here, but you can. It pretty well describes the day we're living in, doesn't it? But I want to draw your attention to verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He, what, Paul wasn't talking about atheists here. Paul was talking about people who profess to be believers, who profess to be followers of God. He said the only problem is their lives aren't lining up. They've got a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. Why? Because what they're teaching, what they're preaching is not rooted in the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God. That's the only thing. So he said, we need to know the times we're living in. Our greatest peril, listen church, I want you to catch this. Our greatest peril is not persecution. We like to sit around the dinner table and talk about, well, what if uh, the economy crashes? And what if they institute martial law? And, you know, they're slowly taking away our freedoms. And one day, one day, we may live in a persecuted nation. Whoa, whoa, time out right there. Persecution's not our greatest peril. In the church, in the countries where persecution exists, you know the church is flourishing. 
You know what our greatest peril is? It's seduction. Seduction is our greatest peril. We have been seduced by the world. The church, I'm talking about the church, not the world. Why do we have a problem with the world being seduced by the world? They're the world. We shouldn't get hung up on the world. The world is the world and they're going to do worldly things. But when the church, when those who profess to be of the company of the redeemed, when the church becomes seduced by the world, that's when we ought to have a problem. Paul says, don't judge those people out in the world. Police your own house first. God will deal with them. You correct the house of God. And we see today that seduction, seduction, church, is our greatest peril. There are so many things that seduce us every day. And we justify the seduction. We say, well, you know, God won't mind this. And, well, this is justifiable because I found a scripture that said this. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. We're real good at that. I am convinced that seduction is much more dangerous than persecution. It, it all works to the same end. You either deny your faith through threat of persecution, or you deny your faith because you've been deceived and pulled away, and your mind's been sucked right back into the lust of the world. And you're living your life out of a worldly mindset, and you're letting all these things that are of the world, that are of the flesh, rule and reign in your life. Your pride, your anger, your ambition, all of that. Your fears, your wants, your desires. Does God care about your wants and your desires? Absolutely he does. But what did Jesus say about that? He said, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. See, get your eyes off yourself and get them onto the kingdom. And God will take care. God will have your back. He will. Seduction is our greatest peril. We must not be seduced away from the gospel. We must never settle for a form of godliness denying the power. The power is the gospel, church. Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from faith, how is that revelation of Christ going to come? It's going to come by faith. You're never going to have all your questions answered. You're never going to be able to put God in a neat little box and get him all in the perfect position you want him to be in. You're going to have to exercise faith. And the gospel, the power of salvation, comes from faith, and it goes to faith. You will continue to walk by faith, for the just shall live by faith. Is there ever going to come a day when God will answer all your questions? I am convinced, no. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. But those things which he has revealed to us, they belong to us and to our children, our children's children, to all generations. God is not obligated to reveal everything to us. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Why are you worried about it? He has revealed his son to us. And he has given us his son. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the sun and I'm going to run with the sun. And all the other things that people want to get hung up on, I just ain't going to worry about it because I've got the sun. And in the sun is everything. For in him, God, please the Father that in the sun the fullness should dwell. Colossians chapter 1. So if the fullness is in the sun, then it's all in him. 
And whether I know it or understand it, it doesn't really matter. I just know I've got the Son, and if i got the Son, i got everything. i got everything. Thank you for that. Come on. So he says to Timothy, he said, hey, Timothy, he said, know the times you're living in, bro. And then he says in chapter 4, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Don't get caught up in the hype. Don't be seduced by the lust of the world. Don't let those people intimidate you. He told Timothy, he said, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. He said, don't let those guys intimidate you. They're just trying to pull you away from, from, the, from Christ. They're trying to pull you away from the truth and make you their puppet. He said, no, you belong to Jesus. You keep preaching the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Look at this. For the time will come, and now is, church, the time will come when they, you are not they. As pastor of this church, I have purpose in my heart that you will not fall into this category. You are not they. Amen? If you become they, then give me my notice and I'll move on down the road. But you will not become they. For they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They will not endure sound doctrine. They have itching ears for their own desires. They heap up for themselves teachers, not teachers for God, but teachers for themselves. They turn their ears away from the truth. I was in Austin this week, and I drove down the road. I was down in South Austin and drove by a... Uh, a big name, denominational church, Presbyterian church. Not all Presbyterians are like this. I want you to know there's some good evangelical Presbyterian churches out there. But this church on their marquee said, same-sex marriage, a different point of view. Now, I don't know what the point of view, maybe, maybe their point of view was coming from the truth. But I have a suspicion that it wasn't, because I happen to know some people in the Presbyterian church movement in Austin who are very promoting of this. Now, we can pick up rocks and throw, throw them at, at whatever area we want, but the bottom line is, whether it's same-sex marriage, whether it's uh, stepping on people's heads to, to climb the corporate ladder, whether it's lying, gossiping, cheating, stealing, it doesn't matter what it is. We do not compromise the truth. Can you endure sound doctrine? Or are we going to change the message to fit our lifestyle? Whether we're straight or whether we're whatever. Doesn't matter. We get all hung up in that. God doesn't look at homosexuals any worse than he looks at liars. It's all sin. It's all sin. It's just less acceptable to us. You realize how socially acceptable lying has become? It has. But a lie's a lie. So he goes on. They turn their ears away from the truth. But look what he says. But you, Timothy... But you, now, now this is you right here. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Church, be watchful in all things. Do not be seduced. Do not seek 
the treasure. <laughs> I watched that movie the other night. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> we thought you was a toad. <laughs> Do not be seduced. Don't be seduced, church. Be watchful. Don't be seduced. Endure afflictions. Do you know that Jesus did not promise you a trouble-free life? As a matter of fact, very purposefully, he promised that you would have troubles. But at the same breath, he said, be of good cheer. Now, how are you going to be of good cheer in the midst of your tribulation? Well, I'll tell you what, if you got the fruit of the Spirit, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in you, and you got the love, the joy, the peace of the Lord flowing out of you in abundance, and Jesus did come to give you abundant life, not barely get long life. That abundant life doesn't mean your bank account's always going to be full, but it does mean that you will always be full if you will allow. You will always be full of the Spirit, and that Spirit can flow in abundance out of you. That means the love of the Lord can flow, the joy of the Lord can flow, the peace of the Lord can flow in abundance out of you, even in the midst of your tribulation. Be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. Endure afflictions, church. Don't be seduced. Do the work of an evangelist if you're an evangelist. You say, but Pastor Jeff, I'm not an evangelist. I'm none of those things. Well, you are a saint of God, and you're called to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Do the work of the ministry. And how do you do that? You do it just by living your life every day. How does the branch work to produce fruit for the vine? The branch just simply abides in the vine. The branch doesn't clock in and clock out. The branch doesn't say, well, I'm going to do this work today for God, but today i got to do my own work. No, the branch just abides in the vine, and everything the branch does, whether it's washing the dishes, punching in at 8 to 5, it, it doesn't matter what you do. The branch abides in the vine, and the branch works to produce fruit. How does the branch do the work? It just simply abides and allows the life of the vine to flow through it, and the life in the vine manifests the fruit. The vine does the work. The branch is a part, but I'll tell you, it's the life in the vine that does the work. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you, that does the work. Do the work, church. Don't be seduced. Fulfill your ministry. I don't know what my ministry is. Start serving. Be the hands of Jesus. Be the feet of Jesus. Be the arms of Jesus. Go to Shepherd's Heart and love somebody. Go to your neighbor. Go to your family. Just fulfill the ministry. Be an expression of Jesus in this world God has put you in. Abide in him and let his fruit come out. Open yourself up. Take a step of faith and allow yourself to be broken open so that the living water of the Spirit can come out of you and flow and be a blessing to somebody else. Amen? Praise God. That's why we're here, church. That's good news that God would allow us to be a part of his awesome plan. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a good hand.